Let's stand for the reading of the gospel. John 18. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went to it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I told you that I am he. Jesus answered, If you are looking for me, then let this man go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Anas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people.
Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow.
Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we will not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die 
will be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went down again to the Jews and said, I find no basis of charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him with a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. One more, once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priest and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to the law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to say Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are not friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. 
It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. 
When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said one to another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.
Lord, today we remember that important event that happened more than 2,000 years ago. Lord, today we remember the, the event that changed the history of the world. My prayer for us tonight, Lord, is that you help us understand it more and that you help us believe it more. May your spirit may be working in us and is speaking to us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church says, you may take a seat. Good evening. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at the church. And as you were coming in tonight or today or almost tonight, you probably noticed some of the painted doorposts as you were coming into the sanctuary. And if you are familiar with the Bible, you probably already made a connection between those doorposts, similar to the one that I have behind me, and the celebration of the Passover found in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus chapter 12. And the reason why we want to meditate on that a little bit today is because that Passover changed the history of the Old Testament. And today we want to remember the Passover that changed the history, not just of the New Testament, but of the world after that. If you guys remember the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, it was the beginning of a new season. It was so and so important that God asked the Israelites to celebrate Passover year after year. And actually that celebration, that Passover celebration started with a feast. The Passover was so and so significant that the Israelites could not afford to either forget it or ignore it or take it for granted. It was that important. It was the reason why they needed to celebrate it year after year. God did not want his people to ever forget that they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. That's about, that's about four to six generations of people in slavery. Living in a condition of humiliation, desperation, abuse, and dehumanization. 400 years. God's people living like if they were not created in the image of God. 400 years. God did not want his people to ever forget that in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that misery, in the midst of that slavery, God remembered them. That God, out of his benevolent heart, would rescue them. See, the beauty about the Passover in the Old Testament is that God found a way to both be just and merciful at the same time. So the story tells us that the night of the Passover, God sends an angel of destruction to bring justice upon the Egyptians. But before that happened, God told them to kill a lamb without a blemish, the Bible says, and to sacrifice it. And the lamb not only had to be perfect, 
And not only would have to be sacrificed, but the blood of that lamb was to be used to paint the doorposts and the lintels of their houses so that the angel of destruction can make a distinction between God's people and the Egyptians. And that night, an angel of destruction came, and all the firstborns of the Egyptians died, and not one of, them, not one of God's people died. In one day, See, they were protected and rescued by the blood of that perfect lamb. Let me say that again. That day, God's people were protected and rescued by the blood of that perfect lamb. Did you know that that historical event was pointing to an even greater historical event? Did you know that that event was painting a picture and preparing the way for an even better and bigger event? Did you know that that Passover was a shadow of a greater Passover? The Passover that we remember today. The Passover that took, uh, took place about 2,000 years ago in which God himself in human form in Jesus Christ come to rescue his people. But not just as a savior, but as the perfect lamb without sin that will be sacrificed and by his blood and his act of mercy, those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ will be protected and rescued. This is the reason why Paul in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, calls Jesus Christ our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. Interesting enough that some of the last things you heard in a, in a scripture reading is when Jesus is nailed to the cross and at the cross he says, I am, he says, I am thirsty. And the text says that the soldiers, when they heard that, they took um, a sponge in vinegar and they used the hyssop plant or the stalk of a hyssop plant to give him the vinegar. That's what we find in verse 29. Now, the reason why I'm highlighting the, the phrase hyssop plant there is because John is being intentional about using that phrase. Because John wants us to understand the same thing that Paul, that Paul understood. That the Passover lamb was Jesus. That the Passover that happened years before that was just a shadow of the Passover that we celebrate and remember today. How do I know that? Because Hebrews chapter 12 says, that that plant was prescribed in Exodus chapter 12 to be used in the application of the blood of the Passover lamb. The same plant. This is not an accident. This is John wanted us to make that connection. And to see that the greater Passover was what Jesus came to do at the cross. And what I want us to do for the next few minutes, maybe the next few hours, maybe not, is to think about what that means. What does it mean when Jesus says, when the Bible says that Jesus is our Passover? 
And what I want to invite you to meditate and embrace today is that we have to understand what Jesus experienced as the sacrificed lamb. I want us to meditate a little bit on what Jesus accomplished as the Passover lamb. And lastly, I want us to see what Jesus did as we become one in Jesus as our Christ. Now, once again, the reason why I want to go this direction is because the last verses that we just heard, from verses 25 to 30, Jesus, as he's knelt in the cross, he says three things that describe these three things that I'm looking here on the screen. There are three things that Jesus says from the cross, from the cross according to the Gospel of John, that, there's, uh, that make a connection between these points and those phrases. From the cross, Jesus says... I am thirsty, it is finished, and then he gives a word to his mom and to his beloved disciple. Look at how these, those three phrases are connected to my three points for tonight. Number one, look at what verse 28 says. Later, uh, knowing that the evening, the evening had now been finished, and so the scripture will be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. Once again, I want you to see here what Jesus experienced as he's being sacrificed as the Lamb of God. Notice that the text does not say that Jesus felt thirsty. Notice that the text doesn't say that he was thirsty. Notice that the text doesn't say that he was complaining. What I want you to see is that Jesus on purpose is saying to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. So let me tell you why this is so important. Because as Jesus is nailed to the cross, he is not doing it because he has to, but because he wanted to. As Jesus is being nailed to the cross, he is not just being obedient to the Father's redemptive plan, but he is being willingly obedient to the point of death. See, Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus wanted to die. And even in his humanity, right here at the point of the cross, he is there and he's experiencing hell. And you would say, where do you get that from, Hannibal? See, this is when uh, studying the New Testament, Testament helps us a little bit. Because one of the ways the New Testament describes what hell is, is by the word thirst. See, when you go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, there's a story there that Jesus says about this man that was in hell, and he wanted to dip the tip of his finger in water because he was in the agony of the fire of hell. And this helps us understand what Jesus is going through as he's being nailed at the cross. He's literally feeling in himself what it means to be in hell. And if you need to understand that a little bit more, it is important that we know that when Jesus says, I am thirsty, he is quoting Psalm 22. Do you want to know what hell feels like? Do you want to know what Jesus felt? Let me describe it to you by reading some sections of Psalm 22. The psalm says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Hell is a place of abandonment. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my, so far from my cries of anguish. Hell is a place of loneliness. My God, I cry out by day and you do not answer. By night and I find no rest. Hell is a place of uneasiness. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. Hell is a place of shame. Many bulls surround me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. Hell is a place of fear. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Joint hell is a place of pain. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Hell is a place of sadness. My mouth is dried up like a, a poster, uh, posture, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Hell is a place of thirst. This is a crazy thing, church. Jesus knew beforehand what he would experience at the cross. And he did not back down. Do you know why? Because he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. See, the reason why we have to remember Good Friday is because we need to remember that our Savior experienced hell, the thirst of hell, so thirsty people like you and me could quench our thirst in him. I am thirsty, Jesus said. The second thing that Jesus said is, it is finished. See, I don't think that the phrase, it is finished, is good enough for us to understand what really Jesus accomplished at the cross. The phrase, it is finished, the telestai in the original, um, it, it, it's a phrase, it's a word that means so, many, so much more than just it is finished. It means to be completely done. It, it means to be fo completely fulfilled. It means to be uh, something that has been perfectly accomplished, perfectly done, paid in full. It is finished. The interesting thing about that phrase is that it's also in the perfect tense. Meaning that when Jesus says it is finished, it is true, it is, it is finished in the past, it is finished in the present, and it will be finished in the future. Tetelestai. It's a cry of victory. It is not a cry of defeat. So the question we got to ask the text is this. What exactly did Jesus accomplish, completed, fulfilled, or paid in full? Well, I think that the answer is simple. When Jesus went to the cross and he says it is finished, it's because he accomplished what was required in order, in order for us to be accepted by the Father. When Jesus says it is finished, it's because he completed the task God the Father gave him. When Jesus says it is finished, it's because now we have access to the Father and we have been completely forgiven if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus says it is finished, it's because he fulfilled what the law required. Not only Jesus lived the life that no one has lived, but Jesus died the death that we all deserve. See, when Jesus says it is finished, 
is because when he goes to the cross and he dies on our behalf, it's like we have this mega, mega uh, receipt that says, paid in full. No more debt. Jesus paid it all. See, when Jesus says it is finished, it means that because of what he did, we have been rescued and redeemed and saved and protected and accepted. But there's one thing that I've learned in my time as a Christian. The phrase, it is finished, does not make much sense unless I first understand how sinful I am. Unless we all understand how sinful we are. So I want to give you a definition of sin that comes from John Piper that I think is going to help us. Because the more we understand how sinful we are, the more beautiful and amazing and perfect Jesus becomes. This is what John Piper says, his definition of what sin is. Sin is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverent, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not steamed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not enjoyed, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the promises of God not believed, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. Do any of those apply to you? I got a ton of them that apply to me. But if that is true of you today, as it is true of me today, I want you to hear what Jesus said from the cross. It is finished. You don't have to pay the debt. He already paid it. You don't need to punish yourself no more. He was already punished on your behalf. It is finished, already forgiven, already accepted. See, if it is finished, it's true in your life. You don't have to pretend to have it all together. It is precisely because we don't have it all together that Jesus went to the cross. It is finished. See, you don't have to work so hard. You don't have to try to prove anything. You don't have to try to do anything to try to prove to anybody that you're worthy because Jesus says it is finished. You are worthy because he died for you. See, Jesus at the cross says, I am thirsty. Jesus at the cross says, it is finished. And lastly, from the cross, he looks at his mother and says, woman, here's your son. And to John the disciple, he says, here's your mother. And with this, I want to show you how the cross brings us together. That we are united by our Christ. See, that sentence doesn't make sense unless you understand how the culture at that time functioned. See, that's a traditional society. So parents supposed to be taken care of by their sons or their daughters. And we, know because of the, and we know because of the gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, that Mary had more sons and more daughters. So why would Jesus tell John to take care of Mary? 
And this is the idea. That at the cross, Jesus creates a new society. A society that is not segregated according to race or nationality or gender or social class or social standing or economic power. As one of the scholars puts it, this new society consists of those whose faith meets at the cross and whose experiences of forgiveness flows from the cross. Do you know why we as Christians celebrate communion? Because we celebrate a Passover feast in which we come together to taste and see that the Lord was good, is good, and would always be good. Did you know that Jude in the New Testament calls the Passover a love feast? Do you know why? Well, this is the idea. Because when we come together, to participate in communion, we remember and we celebrate what it means to be loved by the Passover lamb, what it means to be loved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what it means to be loved to the point that we participate together and we get to taste and see that he is good. Now, I want you to get ready to participate in communion. And as you came in, you took one of these cups. But before participating, the Bible calls us to examine ourselves to see if there's anything there that you need to surrender to the Lord. To see if there's anything there that you need to fix before you participate in communion. See, remember... We don't want to get things right so we could be right with God. We want to do things right because we are already right with God. Why? Because he says it is thirst, he was thirsty, it is finished, and we are one. So I'm going to give you a few seconds. Right there in the intimacy of your heart, if there's anything that you need to surrender to the Lord, please do it. going to ask you to take the first wrapper of your cup. Please grab the bread. And this is what Jesus said in the first communion. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. Now please remove the second cover of your cup. And scripture says that in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord, these elements enter into our system. We want to remember and understand even more how our past Christ, our Passover lamb, sacrificed it all for us. Experiencing the thirst of hell on our behalf. Forgiving us, giving us redemption, giving us access to the Father, being loved by the Father in Him. And even as these elements enter into our system, Lord, that we may remember what the phrase, it is finished, means. Lord, we believe it already, but we want to believe it and we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say. Church, let's stand together as we respond to the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. As we remember what our Savior has done. We come to the table. Invited by the one who is faithful, who gave his life for us and we are broken, but through the body and the blood we're made beautiful. Sin is forgiven. Is washing over us. Something happens when we approach the throne of God. Lives are changing as we remember what He's done.
Jesus, my heart is clean. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Before the last uh, reading of the evening, I want to remind you that even today we cry on Sunday, we will celebrate. So I want to invite you to come back. And I want to invite you to invite others. We're going to have three services here on Sunday at 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. If you know anybody that lives in the Carroll Stream area, you can invite them to TVC. We have two services at 9 and 11. And if you know anybody that speaks Spanish, invite them to Iglesia del Pueblo at 12.30. Now let's hear the last reading of the evening. Now, it was a day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the, of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead... One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow, flow of blood and water. The man who saw it, he has given a testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and another scripture says, they will look and the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, aloes about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it and with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jews, Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. You may be dismissed. Thank you for being with us.